episode number 40 of the Art of Med School, where we help creative minds understand medicine. Today, we are going to be talking about the flu, buying flights to St. Vincent, and Minotrier's disease. Well, it's that season, or at least getting close to it, depending on where you're at. When you're listening to this, actually, as opposed to, that's the flu season. So what is the flu? Let's talk about the flu. It's kind of this interesting thing that we all think that we know things about because we all refuse to take the flu vaccine for some really important reason. And it's just stupidness because there is no good reason. Maybe an egg allergy. There's still options. Anyway, the flu is not caused by what you might think, the hemophilus influenza, but rather by the influenza virus. Hemophilus influenza is a, is a bacteria, for those that didn't know. The uh, influenza virus, though, is a helical envelope negative single-strand RNA segmented orthomyxovirus. No one cares about that except for med students, although understanding that the virus itself is segmented that part, that's going to be important. So it is interesting, though, because the uh, the influenza virus has three important proteins, hemagglutinin, neuraminidase, and then what's called M2. So you got to think of the virus kind of like floating along and it runs through this, uh, this, this cell and it wants to get into the cell and it's going to replicate inside the cell because remember viruses can't really replicate on their own. They, they, they need cells to, to do that for them. So this virus comes along and he wants to get into a cell. How's he going to do it? He's going to use a hemagglutinin protein. That's on the envelope, that uh, the envelope of the virus. That hemagglutinin is going to bind with sialic acid that's on the cell membrane, and that functions so that it will be uh, endocytosed. So it's going to encourage the the bacteria. It's going to encourage the cell to eat it, and then it eats the virus and brings it in, and then... Basically, it replicates, and it shoves everything out, and then that's great. Actually, what, what sheds everything so they can replicate, that's, that's where M2 comes in. M2 protein, his job is to adjust the pH of the virus environment so that it can, uh, so it has the best replication environment that it can. And that's actually a commonplace that we target influenza A specifically. We have drugs like amantadine and romantadine that targets the channels that M2 uses, those proton channels that allow hydrogen to come in and to change the pH. And that blocks the virus from uncoating. Unfortunately, viruses, they're developing a resistance to it. Now, it's time for, so we'll just say that it worked, though, and like our M2 has adjusted the pH and we've replicated, it's time to head out. Hemagglutinin, still attached. So that's where neura, uh, neuraminidase comes in and cleaves that bond the, between the hemagglutinin and the sialic acid, and that allows the virus to bud. Bud is essentially pushing out through the cell membrane and getting released into the wild to go forth, spread itself, and infect more cells. So let's talk real quick on the flu vaccine. Why, why do we have flu vaccines that don't always seem to work well? 
one, get vaccinated because it saves lives. And if it doesn't save your life, it could save the life of your neighbor, whether it be a child or an elderly individual. Get your damn vaccine. So there's something called antigenic variation. Essentially, HA or hemagglutinin, or and so we say HA and NA, but hemagglutinin and neuromanidase changes its genes every season. That's antigenic variation. It's just it's these little mutations here and there, and usually multiple versions come out of of the influenza virus, not the vaccine. The virus itself actually has multiple genetic versions that come out every year. So we do, we, I say we because I'm going into the medical profession. I can't say we because I don't actually do this, but we, we essentially have to guess about how is it going to change we look at early infections to get an idea of which ones are kind of the, the most popular ones this year, so to speak. And we create the vaccine based off that. We can only hope to get it right. And we do more often than not. But the truth is, it's not a perfect system. Of course, when it doesn't work, that's when everybody freaks out, uh, even though this is science above a lot of people's heads myself included to be honest with you i mean this is genetics on a on a whole another level what's cool too though is you now know that ha and na the hemagglutinin and the neuromanidase uh, neur, neur, i cannot say that word tonight neuroimmunidase those are how we name the influenza strains so h1n1 is the first version of hemagglutinin and the first version of uh, neuraminidase. If we have a second version of neuraminidase mixed with the first version of hemagglutinin, it's H1N2. And that's actually where the name of those viruses come from. And usually, so here's the thing, usually those genes just slightly change. And that can cause epidemics. Epidemics really just mean that we have more than expected. But, you know, it it sucks, but it's, it's handleable. However, sometimes those segments that they have, the segments of the, the virus itself, that can allow them to exchange large amounts of RNA around, leading to wholly new strains. And that's called antigenic shift, because everything has shifted. And this is when pandemics happen. Get vaccinated. Make sure you check us out on artofmedschool.com. We have a ton of more information, blog posts, any of our past episodes that you might have missed, as well as some really fun underwater photography that Mike has been working on. There's some cute photos of fish. So check us out on artofmedschool.com. All right, so I have been purchasing a lot of tickets lately to and from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and uh, and I think I've got some tips, uh, because it's not super easy, especially if you're coming from somewhere like I am, which is in the middle of South Dakota. Um, I'm actually in the largest city in South Dakota, but still, that doesn't really mean much when it comes to purchasing a flight out of here. So... Um, 
my options are flying out of Sioux Falls or flying out of uh, Minneapolis or flying out of Omaha. Minneapolis is about a four-hour drive from here, and that's usually what is going to give me the best rates. Um, Omaha is usually pretty good, too, and that's about two hours away. So, you know, sometimes you're like, ooh, what do I do? Is gas going to be cheaper? What's up? Um, but for the most part, the... Um, the flights coming out of Minneapolis and St. Paul are the cheapest. And I just so happen to be very lucky. And I have a sister who lives really close to the airport. And so, uh, like the flight that Micah is going to be taking coming home for Christmas, uh, arrives at like 9 a.m. And so I can sleep overnight at Robin's place and then wake up in the morning, say hi to her kids, and then. Uh, jump in my car and pick Mike up from the airport. So that works out super great. Um, but, you know, there is that extra weight. And so, you know, and also, you know, it totally depends on where where you're from, what's going to be the best. And I think that uh, if you're from someplace like Chicago or something, you already know you're going to be flying out of O'Hare, right? So, uh, because we're adults and we've already figured out how to buy airline tickets. Um, but if, but you know, I've been purchasing a lot more airline tickets and, uh, a lot more international airline tickets lately. So, uh, a couple basic tips. Uh, they say, I'm not exactly who sure they are, but the people, the internet people, uh, the internet people say that flights are cheaper on Tuesdays. Um, I haven't seen much of a variance on the flights that I've been purchasing, but sure, buy them on Tuesdays. Well, it doesn't matter to me. Um, it, Tuesdays often work, so I'll buy them on Tuesdays. Uh, the other thing that they, the internet they say, is uh, looking up flights in a private or an, an incognito window um, so they can't... Uh, know that you're looking for flights and jack up the prices on you. Uh, this seems to make sense to me, so I always do this as well. So uh, those are some kind of basic tips just when you're looking for flights in general. Uh, specific tips for getting flights to St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Um, it's a smaller island country, and so there's not as many flights that go directly into there. You usually have to get a flight to someplace in the vicinity and then take a Liat flight over. And Liat is pretty much the most terrible airline ever, but they uh, have a monopoly. So you have that option. You sometimes can get onto a Caribbean Airlines flight, but they don't have as many options. So, um, so there's that. Um, I think we've mentioned this in the past, but uh, St. Vincent just opened up its new international airport, and it's very, very proud of this whole thing. And so uh, they are just now starting to get flights that uh, come in from other places. Uh, you know, it, we you know we would always joke of it's its own country, so any flight is an international flight, but um, flights that are not going directly into the Caribbean. Um, so, uh, so, but usually I would be looking for flights that 
go into, so if I'm looking at like kayak.com or something, uh, I would have to look at flights that go directly into Barbados or to Trinidad and then on Lee, on Liat's site separately, then purchase the quick connecting flight. And usually that is the most expensive leg, which really sucks. <laughs> um, there is, uh, a new flight, which Micah is actually going to be taking back, which I think is awesome. Um, and it is a flight that goes directly into Toronto from St. Vincent. So I, I hope that one keeps going because that actually ends up being a lot cheaper because Liat uses crazy, crazy, um, fees for airport fees and so then you're you're missing out on airport fees which is which is really what jacks up the prices um the other thing that i've done to uh, get some cheaper flights is i've connected uh, a series of one-way flights together and that's uh never bitten me yet so uh that's also ended up being a lot cheaper um as an option, I, you know, when I go and through and purchase a flight, I usually look for a couple of weeks and kind of check out trends and seeing what's happening. Um, and, and often, uh, getting one ways is, has been a lot cheaper. Um, excuse me. Um, so though, those are some, those are some of my tips for looking into flights into St. Vincent. It's a little bit out of the way, but definitely worth the time. We launched a Patreon account. Please go check it out. You can find a link on our website or just look up Art of Med School on Patreon.com. This is a great way to support us as we work hard to make the most and best content possible. You can find more information on our homepage at artofmedschool.com. And every little bit helps. Thanks. I think this one is interesting. I mean, to be honest, I think most of the things we talk about are interesting, but I am a huge nerd, and so that's why it's interesting to me. In your stomach, we've talked about this, this fine balance between acid and mucus production, right? We've talked about what happens when you have too much acid, be peptic ulcers, GERDs, it could come from Zollinger Ellison, but what's something that causes too much mucus? Menetrier's disease. Don't know if I'm saying it right. Don't know that it matters. M-E-N-E-T-R-I-E-R apostrophe S. There's also some accents on there. Pretty sure it's Menetrier's disease. So this is what it presents like. A patient comes in with epigastric pain, with nausea, with vomiting. They're just not hungry and they've been losing weight. But they also have edema. So you do some kind of imaging, and in, in the body of the stomach, there's these large mucosal folds have developed. It almost looks like a brain. In fact, if you Google image a menetrier disease or a hyper hyperrugate stomach, it looks like you're looking at the inside of a brain, or it looks like you're looking inside the stomach at the brain. That uh, there is gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal protein loss, hence the edema, and we don't r- entirely understand where this is all coming from. But we do know that one part is epidermal growth factor receptors, or EGFR, being overexpressed. 
and that's what's leading to the increased mucus cells. So, so essentially what's happening is, at least in one part, we have all these mucus cells in the stomach that, that are secreting mucus, hence the name, right? And, and that's creating that barrier, that lining. But they're just working way, way over, over time. So we have too much of that mucous membrane. And the transforming growth factor alpha is also produced for some reason. We don't really know why. But TGF-alpha stimulates epithelial cells and inhibits gastric acid secretion. So we know that because the uh, EGFR uh, receptors are being overexpressed, we have an increase in mucus cells. We also have TGF-alpha being released and inhibiting our gastric acid secretion. So we have too much mucus being made and also not enough acid, both. So it's like a double whammy. So obviously this leads to increased risk of gastric adenocarcinoma. And the only thing you can do is treat with a total gastrectomy. Just take that whole bad boy out. Absolutely crazy. Menetrius disease. All right, there you have it. That was episode number 40 of the Art of Med School, where we help creative minds understand medicine. Today we talked about the flu, buying flights to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Minotrier's disease. Our theme music, Urbana Matronica Woo Ya Mix by Spinning Mercata, is copyright 2011, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. This show is not affiliated or endorsed in any way by St. James School of Medicine. Micah just goes there. The Art of Med School podcast is part of the Art of Med School Network. For more information, find us on the web at artofmedschool.com. Thank you.